Hello and welcome to another edition of Heart of Healthcare. My name is Dr. Jan Bonifer, and these podcasts are about helping physicians restore balance in their lives so we can co-create a medical system that benefits everyone. A quick reminder that you can find more information about our nonprofit heart-based medicine and the work we do to support healthcare professionals at www.heartbasedmedicine.org. Welcome to the Heart of Healthcare podcast series, series one, episode one with Professor Dr. Jan Bonifer. This week we ask, how do medical professionals manage to keep the spark of passion and motivation alive? Welcome listeners. Today we are asking medical professionals about why the career they love so much actually erodes their enjoyment. We're looking to challenge modern healthcare practice because if you're demotivated and you've lost your spark, you're unlikely to have any resilience to draw upon. What it means for doctors is they're dropping out. And what it means for patients is they're confronted by healthcare professionals whose hearts are elsewhere. Please allow me to introduce two of my close personal colleagues and advocates for changing the future of healthcare, Professor Kavita Chinayan and Dr. Daniel Dinenberg. When she's not serving as a cardiologist and associate professor of medicine at Oakland University William Bowman School of Medicine, Dr. Kavita Chinayan is authoring price-winning books. Her healing approach combines expertise in cardiology with time-honored Eastern teachings and her latest book, Heart of Wellness, shows readers how to transform their relationship with habits, lifestyle, and disease using a remarkable approach to health. Hello and welcome, Kavita. Hi, Ian. Thanks so much for having me here. And Dr. Daniel Dillenberg was one of the original physicians at One Medical and as a clinical instructor at UCSF, has had extensive training in functional medicine with double board certification in family medicine and integrative holistic medicine. Rarely does one find an MD who has a strong academic family medicine background with such extensive integrative holistic training and such heart. Dr. Dan supports his patients with holistic primary care and integrative techniques so that they can shift their own perceptions of healing and unlock their innate physical, mental, emotional, and spiritual growth. Hello and welcome, Dan. Hi, Jan. Thank you so much. It's an honor to be here. So let's get started with Kavita. Kavita, tell me, what was the moment that made you decide to go into medicine? When did your heart connect with it as a calling? Yeah, so um, the first memory I have of, of um, thinking about medicine was probably when I was six or seven years old, and I overheard my mother talking to somebody um, who ha was visiting us, and she said, my daughter's going to be a doctor. And uh, I don't know why that came up that day, but... I just uh, connected immediately with that. It just uh, was was something that stirred something in me, and it just became a dream thereafter. So that was my earliest memory of it. And then in medical school, you know, I opened the textbook of physiology and started reading about the circulatory system, and I was in love. I knew I was going to be a cardiologist. <laughs> So it was very clear uh, in those, you know, two memorable moments. Amazing. 
Oh, that is fantastic, Kavita. So the two really crucial moments in your life. Can you tell me a little bit about that first moment when you were like a six-year-old girl? That moment, what happened inside you? What What was your, what were your sensations actually when you heard your mother say that and that clarity was there? What did you actually feel? Can you remember still? Yes, I do remember very clearly. It uh, felt like I was lit up and um, it felt like, you know, I kind of had this certainty about my life and, you know, a six-year-old is not thinking about certainty by any means, but it just felt like, um, You know, it was a moment of happiness and freedom, so to speak. Um, it felt like, okay, now I don't have to think about it, you know, because you know how it is when you are a, a, a young kid and everybody's asking you, what are you going to do when you grow up? And it was always a very question, you know, a confusing question for me. I, I didn't know what I wanted to be. But with this, it felt like, okay, now I know. And if anybody were to ask me, I would know what to say. And importantly, it just felt right. And, you mm. know, it's one of those uh, intuitive things. You just feel like, okay, this feels right. And that feeling never left me thereafter. You know, it, at never, at no point in the rest of my life until I went to med school did I question it. Fantastic. I can so much relate to that. It's just sometimes you just know that's a kind of very different type of evidence that we know from our early childhood and yet it's not something that we really get to learn in medical school but it brings us into medical school isn't that so we'll probably get back yes. to this let's pick up on this a little later so let me just ask that same question to daniel so dan um tell me what was the moment that made you decide to go into medicine and when did your heart connect with it as a calling thank you so much jan I always feel like I knew I was going to be a physician. I come from a long line of doctors. My father's a doctor. Both my grandfathers are doctors, my uncle, my cousins. And there was always this feeling within me that I knew that this is what was going on in my life and this is what I was going to do. But there was a point, it was interesting, as I was entering from college and I was really felt like there was something that was deeply creative about me and the way that I see the world. And there was something about following in the footsteps of my family that just didn't feel right at that moment, even though there was something from a very young age, like Kavita was saying, you know, from six and seven years old, this is what I always said I was going to do. This is what I always felt like I was going to do. And then there was this shift that occurred that really made me feel like, well, what is it about <clears throat> medicine that is mine, that is my path? And it was interesting. I sort of still as a pre-med and a biology major, but I really started focusing on ecosystem biology. So I studied coral reef ecology and the ecology in rainforests. I was spending so much time looking at the interconnectedness of something like the coral reef. And there was a moment that I'm looking at all of the organisms interacting together. So you have symbiosis, you have commensal organisms, you have all these interplays. And I started to look and I said, oh, and it was a aha moment where I said, 
the human being exists like that. All of these organisms is an integrative approach. And I can now come into medicine seeing the interconnectedness like I see in biology, like I see on the coral reef where everything has its place, but the organism is all of it, is life itself. And I came so clear and I was, you know, even chills thinking about it right now, but it's just this feeling of how to bring myself and my viewpoint into medicine. And so that became a journey in integrative holistic medicine of bringing all these things together and now seeing, you know, the interrelationship of the brain and the heart and how the kidneys and the livers, and it supports one living, breathing organism. Ah, beautiful, Dan. Isn't that, uh, what a beautiful description of this moment of awe, right? Where we just, you just want to bow down to existence. You just want to bow down to creation. And it's just this, yeah, it's just so amazing. (laughs) This is, this is the point of no return, right? This is the point where there's, (laughs) that's, that's when that inner intuition is consolidated and there's no way ever back. (laughs) Mm. yeah ah beautiful i guess everybody everybody is so blessed you know everybody with this sort of moment is from then on it's just such a rich journey into medicine and serving other people thank you it's beautiful so let me ask you the second question then for today and let's go back to kavita what do you think about the heart mind balance in medical training as you went through it yeah, so this um, is a, an interesting question. You know, um, I have to say that when I started my uh, training in medical school and then in training through residency and fellowship in cardiology, it, it wasn't something that I thought a whole lot about. You know, I was very much um, in the mainstream medical kind of uh, mindset even though you know i had my own personal practice of meditation and various other things going on since my teenage years i never thought to bring them together but it was actually during my cardiology fellowship that something shifted in me you know what daniel just said happened to him you know before medical school that thing happened to me during cardiology fellowship as a result of my own personal practice and opening and and it occurred to me that this is not how I want to practice medicine, um, where I'm not addressing the whole person. And, you know, every aspect of their life is important in the in this thing that we call wellness. And it can't be an organ specific thing. We can't view this person by by the terminology of disease. We need to view this person as a whole, which is their mind and their heart and their, you know, the their various dimensions that make up this person is extremely important. And so when I went into cardiology practice, I decided that's how I wanted to practice. And I was very, you know, apprehensive because that's not how I was trained. And, you know, you know, you are in mainstream medicine, but I was very fortunate to have a department that supported me in however I wanted to do things. 
and uh, they have been very supportive of my practice and the way and the kinds of things I want to bring into it. And at the same time, I started studying Ayurveda and uh, studied it for 10 years and uh, started applying it in my clinical practice and started to bring the things that worked in my personal practice, I started to bring it into my clinical practice. And that's how it has evolved for me. But coming back to your original question, I don't think there is enough of an emphasis on this whole business of the mind and the heart in medicine. You know, there's not much in training. There is more of an awakening these days, but that needs to uh, really be developed and included in uh, training. Mm, beautiful. So you brought it in, you were inspired in your private life and you had the space to bring it into your professional life. But essentially it wasn't, it was your effort and your outreach to look beyond what was provided at medical school that allowed you to explore this dimension of healing. Yes, absolutely. Mm, thank you. Beautiful. So Dan, let me turn to you. So what do you think about the heart-mind balance in medical training? Well, it's such a great question, Jan, because in my own training, I, I, there was a, I really was trying to seek that out, right? So I spoke of this kind of epiphany that happened in sort of seeing holism in nature. And now I'm going to medical school looking for that. And I'm trying to make it my own. So I really sought out programs that had a problem-based learning track in medical school where they were looking at the whole person and understanding. And so even thinking back to the very first case, which is, you know, microbiology and anatomy and histology, you're looking at the case of a, a human being that had a pneumothorax. So they had a spontaneous pneumothorax. And you have to understand, how, what do we need to know about this? Well, let's, we need to know the anatomy of the lungs. We need to know the histology. We need to know the microbiology. How could this all happen? And so that was a great part of training that brought in the whole picture. But the question is really about the heart-mind balance. And even though they really did connect into the whole person, Bringing the care and the love and the communication of another human being showing up for another human being, it still is not there kind of within that training. Took me to UCSF into Santa Rosa Family Medicine, which is a really fantastic program that does look at, <clears throat> brings in the big picture, brings in the human element. And there, there was a deeper understanding of thoughts and emotions and the mental aspect and how it could affect the physical, but it's still, it's missing, right? There's still an aspect of this that I feel like we have an opportunity to bring more, more power into where there's still, I think, a paternalistic model of here is this physician, this person who's there to diagnose and to treat. And it's not a co-creative environment in which you allow and support and reflect and understand what really is impacting this human being in their life. In the same way we talk about the ecosystem of this organism, this is a human being with an imbalance, with quote unquote, this disease, with, and how do we handle this in a way? And that is what really hasn't been touched on. That is the excitement that I'm just profoundly honored to be on a 
a podcast like this because this is the place that we could dig this up and figure out what is needed for the future, for training an individual to connect with heart and to understand how we can heal and not just mitigate symptoms of disease. Oh, beautiful, Dan. <laughs> so crystal clear as always. Fantastic. Thank you. <laughs> um, yeah, to see, to see the therapeutic alliance as part of this wider web that we are participating in and how to actually leverage this beyond the analytic deductive training that we go through is just, ah, that's just so refreshing. <laughs> so, um, that is beautiful. Let's, so we definitely will explore this. Let's just, um, maybe just before we go to what might be paths to explore this and what might be ways to kind of routes that we want to take, let us just stay there for a minute um, at a feeling that I guess you also know. So let me turn to Kavita again and ask you, what does our... Why does our spark get dampened so quickly by institutionalized medicine? Yeah, this is such a, a such a good question. You know, um, what we see, I think, in medicine is that, first of all, you know, nobody in their right mind, <laughs> right, would want to be... Um, in this exceedingly difficult competitive field of medicine, you know, if they didn't want to do good, right? Because it's not, it's not a path to sudden fame or money or anything like that. You know, most people are really driven by the innate uh, longing to serve and to help and to do good that brings them into this arduous path of training in, in the medical field. And um, genuinely, I think, you know, I have seen this in my colleagues and in my partners and in so many doctors that I meet is that there is this absolutely wonderful spark of kindness and compassion and sweetness that they exude in their interactions with patients. And even if we are, if they're not talking about what we are talking about right now, it comes out in their interactions. You know, they are, there are really absolutely phenomenal physicians out there. But what ha has happened is that medicine has become commercialized just like everything else. And it is, you know, it is this, uh, the institutional kind of pressure to produce more to do more, to build more, to, um, it, you know, to become a machine. And, and the returns that we seek, which are not really materialistic returns, you know, most doctors just want the satisfaction of having done the job well. You don't get that when you don't spend enough time with patients because you're being pressured to see more patients and, you know, build more and, uh, otherwise, you, you're not bringing in enough to the institution and you're not billing enough. So there is so much pressure with regard to all of that, that it the amount of effort we put in to train and to come to a particular place and the returns that you get, you know, with regard to all of these kind of political and institutionalized factors, they kind of collide. And it's it's very difficult to deal with that kind of a setup 
especially if you're not uh, equipped and you're not taught how to deal with that. And and we all work in silos. That is the other problem. You know, it's not like all physicians are coming together and saying, let's let's change this, although there is a movement towards that. So there is also the lack of personal resilience as well as the, you know, overall systematic lack of support. Uh, I think that leads to this disillusionment. Yeah, beautiful. I'm totally with you here. <laughs> Can, these, it's very gradual, right? That we find ourselves yes. kind of suddenly on a very slow, slippery slope, gradually without noticing, you kind of find yourself in an environment that is so far away from that initial spark and that sense of awe where you turn. Yeah. I love the way that you're saying like you, you kind of turn into a machine. Yeah. Yeah. That is kind of regulated by standard operating procedures and quality control and policy and yeah, for, for all the good reasons. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And I think, you know, um, the, there is this, what we are talking about is this heart mind thing. We forget that physicians too have a heart and a mind. And the expectation here is for physicians to work as soldiers actually we can't right we are not trained to do that well whereas that's the pressure that we have from the system is to operate in terms of numbers and in terms of productivity rather than seeing people as they are and as we are ah beautiful dan let me turn to you why does our spark get dampened so quickly by institutional medicine Kavita, I love what you're saying about this. It's, it's really, it really makes me think in the same way that it is towards the productivity that we become less ourselves. We carry less of our heart and therefore we slowly dampen this spark of our own creativity and our own beauty and our own empathy and our own ability. I mean, you talked about these physicians. I mean, you mentioned, you know, bringing kindness and compassion and sweetness. It's accurate and true at an early stage in our careers, right? I see that. I reflect that in these kind of very excited, very idealistic, inspired men and women that want to come in to a career of service to help humankind. And then what happens is in the commercialization and the productivity, there is a sense of trying to define what just happened, even in every one of our interactions and put it into whether it be an ICD-10 code or a diagnosis code, a billing. And you're, so you're taking something that is in the quantum, in a spiritual sense, a dynamic and complex, beautiful interaction between individuals. And you're trying to put it into something that is only exists in the productivity system. And therefore what you're doing is you're taking away the energy of what was just created in the interaction. And then on top of that, now you have to chart that note, mostly for an insurance billing, not just for your own knowledge and edification and to remember what happened. And so now you're slowly taking away your own personal connection. 
And over and over and over again, depending on what system, institutional system, is how many people you have to see back to back. And then you take that and then allow that most physicians, clinicians, providers, they don't even have the space in their schedule to recenter, to reground themselves in order then to come in again. You know, it's sort of an interesting timing right now where everyone's talking about, oh, you know, whether... I mean, you know, you think about like, what do you do to put on a personal protective equipment right now, right? You're coming in and you're connecting with somebody and this is a really important thing in medicine is, oh, but how many of us are putting on our personal protective equipment of just grounding and connecting and centering to see someone else, to take on and to listen and hear someone else's story, and so putting those things together, our own resilience is going down and we're becoming more algorithmic in the way that we practice medicine, which ultimately dampens the spark. Mm, so important points. And, and it, I, love, I love what you said about where we become less of ourselves <laughs> and then we get into habits that make sense. Like, of course, it makes sense to put on a PPE when you're taking a throat swab. <laughs> But actually, it's a, it's an act that is born, that is based or rooted in fear, and and we actually have an opportunity to, to base that same act in, kind of rooted in love, to mm -hmm. really prepare ourselves as an act of love for our patient, and both both motivations are are available at that moment, and and what we. At least, at least I need to make it a very conscious choice at that point to not go down the fear route, but actually steer in the other direction. That's so beautiful. Wow, how inspiring. <laughs> so there, um, ah. Yeah, and I have a thought right there when you think, when you kind of mention that, I think there is a sense of when you come into that interaction and you yourself are prepared for that, where you're grounded and connected and resourced in order to see that person, to be with that person, then I believe you're creating a regenerative circuit where then what you give, your expertise and what you can hold is then given back to you and you're receiving in the way of vulnerability and sharing and intimacy, which supports the reason that we do this work. And then we want to give more. And so it's just, it's bringing it out in the same way you're asking these very interesting articulate questions and bringing out how we see the world. And so ultimately yeah. when we do that with patients, we then get to feel energized as opposed to if you see however many people in a row without that chance for resourcing, then ultimately we feel tired and exhausted and what's left for ourselves and for our families. And when that continues, we're not showing up in the same way over time. Yeah, beautiful. <laughs> Isn't that amazing how sometimes we get out of a patient encounter that was actually really intense and we just feel fresh, you know, you come home after a long day at work and you feel completely fresh. And then there are other days you have half a day of work and, oh boy, you know, it's a long afternoon. <laughs> Isn't that yeah, amazing? It's, uh, it's, yeah, it is. I loved every bit of what Dan just said. And 
You know, it is, it's this uh, concept of running on empty. You know, you can't give what you don't have, right? And so that has to be cultivated within us first if we have to constantly give. And if there is no time for that, and we are not n- nourishing ourselves, and we don't have the time to nourish ourselves, because, you know, here we are talking about things that are extremely important to the other person. You know, health or disease, it's a big deal, right? And we're expected to just move on, like, you know, to have this really intense conversation with someone. And then if we haven't had the time to um, nourish ourselves, bathe ourselves in, you know, what you're saying, love versus fear, how can we give it? Right? Yeah. You, you can't give what we don't have. So true. And there's another angle to this that, that I just, um, we just uh, had a new colleague joining us in our private practice and he worked alone in his private practice. And so he joined us now as a team and he said, well, you know what, there's something really interesting that I learned about my interaction with patients is now sometimes when I'm not available, then another colleague of our team will actually see the patient. And then I see them for the follow-up and I read the notes, but I'm missing the most important thing. I wasn't there to, to, to attend the first episode. I'm missing that sense, that smell, that feel, that in between the lines that helps me so much now to actually guide that patient through their journey. So all I get is kind of a very dry, objective description of what happened, but I don't know actually what. I don't know anything about the patient. I only know about their disease. I just love that. (laughs) So there's another angle of how this is so important, or the connection and, and why it is so heavy on us if we if that spark gets stumped and it's not just a about it's not just about feeling better when that spark and that awe and that that enthusiasm is alive but we're actually doing ourselves a disservice and we're actually not showing up as the best version of ourselves and we're not really empowering the patient to the degree that we could so we're kind of failing our patients by by not being there Wow, so what a rich conversation. So we kind of, we went through this journey together of of an inner knowing that is a clarity that we have. It's a kind of evidence that is completely different to the kind of evidence that we learn at medical school, but still we accept it. It actually determines our life path. And then we kind of go into a tunnel of going through medical school and to learn and all of that following that moment of awe and it is up to us to kind of bring that added value to bring that wider perspective to bring that wider vision of appreciating health in an individual being part of a a larger complex system and as we then pursue the training get on that slippery slope of gradually gradually becoming less of ourselves, as Daniel said, um, that is the moment where really we need to kind of, that's when we need to call it. <laughs> that's when we need to detect if that's kind of our last exit. <laughs> if we don't want to go down the burnout and frustration and depression route is to really then realize that, that we are on that slippery slope and that there is a, there's a need to actually show up as the best version of ourselves. And that is to reintegrate the heart and that moment that has set up set us up for that whole journey so 
what a beautiful journey together. Thank you so much. Thank you for sharing your insights and for this rich conversation. Thank you. Yeah, thank you so much. It's an honor to be here. Yes, absolutely. Okay, so we'll be meeting very soon in the next conversation on Heart of Healthcare, and we'll be exploring ways of how what we might do and what e in each of our capacity is to really address that lack that we're gradually, gradually sensing if we're blessed to sense it. We hope you can join us for the next podcast in our Heart of Healthcare series, when we'll be asking, does a one-size-fits-all approach to medical training have any value for modern healthcare? If you like this series, you might also enjoy our accompanying book, Dare to Care, on Amazon. Join the Heart of Healthcare discussion at heartbasedmedicine.org, where you will find lots more interesting interviews, articles, and training materials. See you there. This has been a Heart-Based Medicine production. Thanks for listening.